Alright, hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have our partners. Woo. We have... It's okay if you just set it down. Okay. We got the people that put up with us. Yep, we have Garrett, Natalie's husband, and my boyfriend Ryan. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like this is so formal. Thank you for having us. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Do you want to start with your questions first? Yeah. So we'll give a little background on both of them um, and what they do at the moment. And yeah, but we have have a lot of questions around like mental health, um, relationships with food as men. We really want to get your guys' perspective on like food thoughts and if you guys... You know, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and also hate yourself. <laughs> or if it's, or if it's just not there. Like we're just curious. So, um, my first question is: so a little background on Garrett. He has his master's in business, and when we first started dating, he was a mortgage loaner at a company, and he hated it. <laughs> I remember there would be like times where he would text me and um, where he worked there was like a little bar across the street and it'd be like kind of early in the day to be like I'm over today I'm gonna go have a drink I'm like okay just let me know if you need me to pick you up or something and you know really just hated his job Um, and so you know six years into his career decided that he deserves more and became a firefighter and loves his job now so I would love to hear you know, kind of how you feel like your health, physical, mental, and emotional has changed since mm-hmm. switching from a job that drained you to a job that now makes you feel fulfilled? Yeah, so like you said, I was in that job for, I don't know, seven, eight years. I was a loan officer. Uh, I worked for different companies, and none of them, you know, kind of gave me any uh, feeling of purpose in my life. And so making that switch, at least from a mental standpoint, uh, you know, gave me that, that feeling of purpose. And that's what I was looking for when I was trying to um, find another career path is I just wanted something that gave me purpose with my life and made me feel like I was a part of something bigger than just myself. So, uh, yeah, so on a mental aspect, I felt kind of like I made, you know, had an achievement there. Mm-hmm. Um, from a physical point, like I was still working out and stuff when I was uh, in uh, business, but it was more like kind of an escape mm-hmm. was my, my workouts. And I did it because I enjoyed it, but it was kind of an escape. And now uh, I look at fitness as not just something that I enjoy, but something that's like kind of a, a requirement, you know, for my career. Because I see it as like, you know, every time that, you know, I either I get tired or something and I don't necessarily want to work out, I think... If I skip my workout today, that could be the reason why, you know, I don't get my buddy out of a fire or, you know, um, you know, something along those lines. And so it's not just because I enjoy it, but it's because it helps me obtain that, that purpose that I was looking for in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. I think it's similar to kind of your career path because, like, you were in the military and then... I don't know, you can talk about a little bit more of like your experience with that, but then I think it's not talked a lot about with like the mental aspect of like men, you know, like mental health and being a male and talking about mental health and the struggles that it comes with, mm-hmm. especially coming out of the army or the military and the different transition that you have to go back to and now I have to find a job and that transition. So what was your... Yeah, so once I went into the Army, it was like a big, 
Um, it was honestly just a reason to kind of leave here. I kind of needed to get out of our hometown and yeah. kind of grow up. I was immature, partying a lot, doing the typical stuff that every 18-year-old, 19-year-old does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going into the Army, you just have like kind of what Garrett's talking about, a sense of purpose and like serving others and like serving yourself. And um, so I really enjoyed that aspect. Mm-hmm. And then once my time came done with that, I was ready to get out. But once I transitioned to the civilian sector, it was a kind of a rude awakening because yeah. you kind of realize like being told what to do every day, um, doing deployments, uh, working with your brothers every single day, it's takes over your whole life and mm-hmm. then when you transition you have to kind of figure all that stuff out on your own and that was like a really big adjustment for me and so I think that being in the military and everything you kind of have this I don't know like people just see it as like men just like kind of shut up and put up with it and yeah. then you just trek ahead and mm-hmm. go forward and then if you are saying anything or you are speaking up you're considered soft or mm-hmm. whatever it is and uh that carried over definitely in the military for sure and then once you got out you don't know how to speak up because you never were taught it you never really thought about it you mm-hmm. just like oh i'm just kind of being in my own head i just need to shut up and just put up with it and figure it out yeah um and then just my different life experience after that realizing like that everybody deals with this everybody goes through the same stuff and being comfortable enough to ask for help was really huge mm-hmm. um but that was a really big step for me yeah especially transitioning out of the service yeah and it took me a good couple of years to really like find like myself and figure mm-hmm. out what I wanted to do with my life and then what my whole purpose was outside of the military and so yeah. not basically telling you what to do 24 7 mm-hmm. so yeah how did you like find that purpose? Like, cause I know that you went into personal training and then you went into PTA. So like what kind of pushed you towards that? Uh, lots of therapy, obviously yeah. mm-hmm. doing a ton of therapy work and uh, being in some kind of not the best relationships coming out mm-hmm. and kind of experiencing, kind of just going through life and experiencing like bad stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just learning from them and being able to grow from that and understanding that, um, that you just need to accept your flaws and kind of learn how to move forward with mm-hmm. your mistakes and not make excuses for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it took, like I said, I think therapy definitely helped me. I got to mm-hmm. a point where I was uh, really depressed and didn't know what I was doing with my life and questioning if I made the right decision leaving the military mm-hmm. and not being happy with where I was in life. And my coping mechanisms were kind of falling back into old habits, going out, partying, drinking, doing Mm -hmm. whatever I wanted to do, and not really caring. And then um, I kind of came to, like, a turning point where I just need to figure out, like, okay, do I really want to go down this route? Do I want to go back into the military? I know I don't want to do that because I wasn't happy in there, and I still felt the same way. So I need to figure out what is best for me, and uh, that's what kind of led me to starting therapy and talking with my therapist. I had a great therapist, and Mm -hmm. she kind of – made me do a lot of self-work and self-enhancement and that kind of led me down the road that I came now and finding kind of same thing health and wellness was always a big part of my life and growing up playing sports and Mm -hmm. then going into the military same kind of thing like Gary was talking about with the fire department it's like you have to exercise and you have to be fit and 
it's a difference between you coming home or your buddies coming home or whatever it is and mm-hmm. I kind of got obsessed with it and fell in love with that and uh, wanted to figure out like how I could basically make a living off mm-hmm. of doing stuff that I was love mm-hmm. and also make an impact on people too so yeah. that's what led me down personal training once I was doing that I uh, started getting a bunch of clients that were kind of post-op leaving rehab mm-hmm. and uh, really didn't know what I was doing and so <laughs> I needed to kind of get more education on that and so that led me down a um, physical therapist mm-hmm. assistant route and just kind of fell in love with that aspect of it and then been doing it ever since so that's great yeah um, I know with your job there's and correct me if I'm wrong but isn't there like some mandatory therapy or group counseling after certain calls that you guys go through too um so yeah it's not necessarily mandatory what will end up happening is they'll they'll have someone from our peer support come in um so if you have you know a bad call with you know a child or whatever um they'll end up coming in they'll sit down and they'll talk to you and everything um and they give you the option to you know pursue other therapy and and whatnot. So the, the culture of the fire department has changed in that sense. Um, you know, even though, because I think, you know, Ryan kind of brings up a point that I kind of resonate with, like, you kind of fall back, like, into the, the old habits when you're younger, and you kind of, you know, start drinking and doing drugs and whatnot, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what you're going to do with your life and whatnot. And for me, it was kind of the realization that, um, at least for, like, mental health and stuff, like, really in this world, even though they say, you know, the, you know, uh, men's health matters and whatnot, Mm -hmm. like ultimately nobody cares about men's health. You know, it's, it is up to the man to figure his shit out, um, to work through his problems. And so all of us who have, you know, been through that where we kind of, you know, kind of regress into that drinking stage and whatnot, it's kind of the wake up call. Like eventually during that stage, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? And you kind of got to wake up and and figure your own shit out because nobody really cares Mm -hmm. and so even though there's all these efforts to whether it's in the military or fire or whatnot to try and um you know help people with their mental health you know it's it's kind of feels a little forced almost um Mm -hmm. and so it's and i don't necessarily see it as a bad thing i think um you know it's good that it's there for men but i think one of the things as as being a man is trying to um you know, learn your flaws and be able to figure out for yourself, like, what what it is that you need to do to either become, you know, uh, more stoic or be able to provide for your family or, you know, just kind of be able to get your own shit together. And so, uh, yeah, it's there for you, but there's still the culture, whether, you know, whether people believe it or not, it's still the culture of, you know, shut up and do your job. Mm-hmm. Like, get your shit done. You're a man. Get your shit done. This is your job. Do your damn job. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm also, you know, I'm a, I wouldn't say a proponent, but, you know, I also believe that too, you know, to an extent, like I chose to do this, you know, I'm, I'm the one that, you know, people rely on. uh, And so why am I the one that's, you know, complaining about mental health when I'm responding to someone who had the worst day of their life? So who am I to be able to, you know, say I have an issue for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. Like, it is my job, you know, man up and do your job. 
And so it's kind of. Ma'am, like, <laughs> sir. Yeah. And so. It's okay to have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you see my word again? Yeah. <laughs> we don't like our feelings. <laughs> but kind of what uh, Garrett was just touching on too, like kind of like how you said it's forced. That's exactly yeah, like the it, same exact thing. It's forced, mm-hmm. and it, it's almost taken as a joke, honestly. Yeah. Like when we when I was transitioning out, uh, you get all these classes about adjusting back to civilian life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um. It's a joke. It's a PowerPoint, 20 slides. Yeah. You're in there 20, 30 minutes. And then, uh, well, I'm just yeah, sliding literally, through. it's just clicking, click, oh, click, fuck. click, click. Anybody have any questions? No one's going to raise their hand. What? Nobody's going to say anything. And That's so stupid. And then it's like, and then too, like, and you're in that mindset of like, oh, I'm not, I'll be fine. You know, yeah. I'll figure it out. I figured this out as long as I've been here and like, I'll figure this out once I get out. Yeah. And then you get out and it's a whole different awakening. So like the people who put those powerpoints together and the people who do the peer support are they people who have actually done what you guys do or is it people who mm-hmm. are like licensed there okay no, so that's yeah i feel like that's good at least because i feel like a lot of times with most jobs like people who run stuff or do that like they actually don't have any experience in what you guys actually go through and so yeah. it's kind of like redundant and not actually helpful well like garrett said too it's like one of those things is like you do sign up for it you sign up to go fire you sign up to go to the military and so you have to accept what you did and like Mm -hmm. there's tons of times that you sing your head and you have to go back and like all right i'm fine like Mm -hmm. there's a reason why i'm here there's a reason why i'm doing this Mm -hmm. but at the same time too you don't have um like i said you just don't have the support and it's not taken seriously you just don't and i don't really didn't think of it at the time like when i was getting out of the military i wasn't thinking about like oh i'm gonna be depressed or i'm gonna fall back into it i got out of the military like man, I'm glad to get out. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to go live my life and move on with my life and I'm excited and I'm going to go have the best time of my life and that Boom, lasted. <laughs> yeah, that lasted three months after everybody's, oh, welcome home and we're glad to have you back yeah. and you're out with your buddies and everybody's having a good time and then everybody gets back to their life and then you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm kind of still in the same I'm boat. Sad. Yeah. yeah, I'm still living in this high and really nobody cares. Yeah. Like, nobody yeah. cares at nobody all. Cares. And so you fall into that and you're like, you're... I don't know if it's with fire or with you guys, if you feel the same way too. I always felt like being in the military, especially coming home for leave and everything like that, everybody's shaking your hand and welcome home. Thank and you for your service. Thank you for yeah. your service, everything like that. And it's, brother. they, yeah, exactly. And they make you like seem more than what you really are. Yeah. And so when you come back to the civilian sector, you realize you ain't shit. Like when all those congratulatories mm-hmm. and thank you for your service kind of die down, you realize that like, how you said who am I and yeah why what is what <laughs> and no different than anybody else too and like I empathize for Garrett because at least with military the stuff you do and the stuff you see majority of the stuff is not majority but the military experience is really 24 7 like that was my life for those four and a half years nonstop. Mm-hmm. with Garrett it's a turn on turn off switch I think yeah. with you guys because you guys are going out doing your calls and then coming back and then expected to join like you're coming home to Natalie and just mm-hmm. re- like living a normal life and expect right. to like you have to have like a numbing thing and we were always mm-hmm. drilled that in the military like you drill 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 so much so when you get caught in these situations it's not uh, a rational thought it's mm-hmm. almost like training's just taking over training mm-hmm. and then months years later you're processing all this stuff and you're like, what the yeah, fuck? Okay. Like, this yeah. isn't normal. All at once. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that stuff doesn't come out till later, so. Yeah, and I kind of think that it's almost like a, uh, you know, a symptom of, like, modern society. Because if you look back historically, 
you know, men were always at war. There was always hardships. They were always starving. There was always something that they had to deal with nonstop all the time. So that, that you know, um, period of your life, you know, coming out of the military and then going back to normal, see, like, that's, that's a uh, symptom of our modern society, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, that's why there's so many men that will end up staying in the military you know, their entire lives, and then they're fine while they're in it, but then once they get out, they have issues. Same thing with firefighting. They stay as a firefighter for 25, 30 years, and they're fine during that time, but once they get out, you know, that's when they start having those issues again. And so um, I think it's just something, you know, that's been ingrained in men for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody, so, yeah. And nobody wants to speak up, and then that's kind of the issue with military and pro, and, um fire police everything like that is that they don't speak up and they don't Mm -hmm. handle it and then it really goes and takes their own life you know i've had friends that have gone out and multiple friends in military that have committed suicide because it's such a big adjustment coming out and they never grew up with the support they don't have a support friendship or family or anything like that they're just alone or they go home to no relationships yeah. And so that's a whole another thing, too. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like that's also a lot, like you said, the support, you know, because it's hard, and speaking from just experience with Garrett and stuff, like, I imagine it's hard to talk about, you know, what you see and how you feel and stuff because you don't want to necessarily relive it. Like, you dealt with it then, you know, why kind of put yourself through that again, you know, to express what you need from your partner or the support group or stuff. And so I feel like... What helps with us, I mean, I come from a fire family, so I grew up with it, so it's not that big of a change for me. And so, you know, I kind of get it in that aspect where, you know, we've had friends and stuff who they go into a fire and, you know, the girlfriends or the wives or stuff are having, like, a really hard time with their partner, you know, being gone for two days of the week and, you know, being a little bit more distant when they come off or whatever it may be. So I think a lot of it also falls on the partner too and looking at how they're supporting and being mm-hmm. understanding because I know like when he first started there are definitely some times where like I would be super frustrated because I'd be like I haven't seen you in like two four days because I mean he works a lot so there's sometimes where like he's gone for five six days or you know whatever and mm-hmm. and it's like he comes home and he's tired and he needs to decompress but I'm like oh my gosh but I get to see you again yeah. like let's do this let's do this or like there's a lot of things that we need to get done that he needs to be there for so when he gets off I kind of like plan all these things for us to do and that was something that we had to work through to kind of figure out a balance of like okay so now we now I know like on his first day we don't plan anything we don't do anything he decompresses in his own way if he wants to talk I'm there to listen but you know it's kind of just like I give him his space to process it and I feel like you know there were definitely like some tough times trying to figure that out but through like persistence and just communication and understanding that once again, your partner signed up signed up for this and you signed up for your partner to be mm-hmm. their support system. So either you stick through that and you adjust to do that for them or you dip, like as yeah. shitty as that is. And yeah. so, you know, I guess, and this might be a hard question to answer, but for people who are like in the military or fire, police, first responders, or even just guys that are having a hard time mentally, like what advice would you give to like get started in therapy if they're worried about like being perceived as weak or asking for help or communicating with their partners of like what support they need, you know, like what, what would you recommend to guys out there? I mean, I think it's kind of 
Like, you just, just gotta say, up and do it. Well, you, you have to. Like, <laughs> yeah. kind of what Garrett was saying is, like, you have to, at the end of the day, trauma's trauma. So, mm-hmm. regardless if it's fire, regardless if it's military, regardless whatever, everybody has their trauma. If you need help from it, you have to speak up. And no one else is really looking out for you unless you're looking out for yourself. And nobody knows what's going on unless you ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so, you just have to ask for help. And the people that perceive you as weak or whatever it is, like, those are the most insecure people out there. Those are the people that are have no emotional awareness, no self-awareness at all. And um, so those are the type of people you got to really start seeing and kind of cut those people out of your life. Mm -hmm. Because people that are going to view you as weak or soft for going and getting help that you need that could possibly save your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, there's no, like, it doesn't even make sense, you know? If I was sitting here telling you guys, like, oh, I need to help, I feel like I'm suicidal, this and that. Doubt any of you guys would sit here and be like... And Ryan's some That's some soft suck shit. It like, like, suck it up. You're exactly. kidding. Exactly. What a bitch, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. it's like, no, like, you guys care. You guys have empathy and you care about each other and we care about us. And mm-hmm. you would want me to go get help. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step is realizing, like, those people that are judging you for this stuff, those are people that you could kick to the door and mm-hmm. let alone and just let them do their own thing. Yeah. And then, um, and then just look around, call around. And that's what I started with. I called around and see like who was a good therapist. Mm-hmm. I went through multiple therapists, sat mm-hmm. and talked, didn't really fill it out, jumped to another one, sat mm-hmm. and talked, didn't really fill it out. And it's a process, you know? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a, oh, I went in there and then it was a quick uh-huh. fix and mm-hmm. then I'm good and I'm feeling great and everything like that. It was continuous work, continuous work. There's times that I left therapy that I'm like, oh, this ain't doing shit, you know? Yeah. Like I'm just wasting my time, driving all the way over here and no one really cares. Mm-hmm. And then there was times I left and I was like, wow, that was like really impactful. Mm -hmm. I see exactly what they were telling me and I see why I am the way I am or I'm acting the way that I am. Mm -hmm. But it took a process. It was, like I said, it was a couple of years continuous of it until I felt comfortable enough to accept, like admit wrong when I am wrong and stuff like that and understand the stuff that I went through and learn to cope and do different things and learn outlets and asking for support and everything like that so yeah and I think it's different for everyone and so each person needs to figure out what works best for them so whether that's therapy or like you know for me um you know when we have a bad call the therapy part when our peer support comes over doesn't do anything for me what what works for me is when me and all the guys essentially have our dark humor time of whatever call that we went on and you know we bullshit together you know, as a crew that experienced that together. That's, to me, that's the, the best one, you know. And I've, um, in the past, you know, I've talked to, to you about some of the, the calls. Um, and there's been plenty of calls where I also knew that, you know, talking to you, even though I love you and you're my wife, and uh, but talking to you wasn't, you know, the, the best way for me to deal with that. So I, I, you know, didn't talk to you about those calls, but I just kind of reserved that for, um you know, my crew and, you know, what we were going through. And so that, that's worked really well for me. And so each person's different. So each person's just got to figure out like, you know, kind of, you got to figure it out on your own. You got to man up and figure out what, you know, what, what you need and what works best for you. So, um, so yeah, that's. That in itself is therapy because it's like support groups. That's why right. there's support groups for like cancer, support groups for different things and trauma in your life you know it's because like you can relate to these people and then you hear other people's perspectives on it and you guys can just be there for each other you know Mm -hmm. so even if things like therapy isn't helpful then that in itself is your therapy Mm -hmm. you know and I think you said something really important too about how like 
you know, like, there are some things that you can't talk to me about or don't want to, and that's okay, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I remember at the beginning, I'd always get so upset whenever, like, he wouldn't want to talk to me when he needed stuff, and I'd be like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, And I made it about me instead of being like, okay, this is something that he doesn't want to share or doesn't want to relive with someone who wasn't there for it, and that's Mm -hmm. also okay. Like, it doesn't mean that your partner, you know, doesn't love you or doesn't respect you or your opinion. It's just some things... You know, just personal keep to yourself. And, you know, it's no fault on you by any means. I think everyone's going to have, you know, this um, kind of reaction. But, you know, some of the calls I've talked to you about, you'd be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, you're you're making me feel like I'm a victim here. That's that's not, you know, that's not what I need. Like, I'll I'll be fine. You know, I just need to bullshit with the guys about this. I'm totally okay. I don't have an issue. It was just... It was a bad call. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's when I started doing, okay, then I'm, I'll tell you about the funny calls, you know, and, um, but like some of the bad ones, I, you know, I don't necessarily bring up to you, but I know a lot of firefighters that are like that. Yeah. And I you think know, that's and cops okay. and, you know, military and everything. Mm-hmm. So they just, you know, they, they probably all gone through the same experience where they start talking about stuff and realize, okay, that wasn't the best way to, you know, yeah. deal with that. Yeah, but it's also important to, and you did do this, but just, like, for the podcast purpose, like, it's also important to communicate to your partner, like, hey, that doesn't help me. Right, like, I did tell you that. That doesn't I, make I me like, feel good. Hey, and I feel like I've been that. better. You have been But also, you're not, like, you know, sharing as much. <laughs> but also, I want to bring up now that we're talking about it. Yeah, I'll tell you about all the funny ones. Yeah. Like, all of our just, you know, the, the calls that you go on, you're like, what the hell are people thinking? People are so weird. Yeah. It was funny, I remember... I remember when he first became a firefighter, his mom was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited because you're probably so much more empathetic towards people because he's not a very, like, people person. And she's like, it's probably making you, like, so, like, just loving people and all this stuff. And I kind of look at her and look at him and he's all, no, it makes me hate him more. Yeah, I hate people more. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you really realize that. I think going into the military, I always thought, like, oh, everybody's, like, just figuring it out, you know? Mm -hmm. Everybody, like, is doing their own thing and then you get into being around a bunch of different type of people and you realize some people are just yeah. at a different level and uh it drives you actually insane yeah. but you know i also deal with like the worst of the population like of course when people are calling us because they legitimately need us we are super happy to be there and help out and you know we will always be there for you know whatever someone needs um but then you also see the the drunks, the crackheads, you know, those, those are the people that get, it's frustrating sometimes. You still got to be professional. You still got to put your, your game face on and deal with it professionally and, you know, still give them the best um, help that they can get. But sometimes it can get frustrating. Yeah, you just want to, like, <laughs> or, Yeah, or it's tough when you go from, like, you know, a really bad call, um, whether it was with, like, a, a kid or whatever it is, and then your next call is with a drunk dude yelling at you in the street, and you're like, I just went on this, you know, crazy call, and now I'm dealing with this guy who's just plastered drunk, yeah. you know? And so making that transition and still being professional is is a tough thing to, to learn, but, I mean... Get it done. You gotta get it done. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta put your game face on. You still gotta be professional. Yeah. That's the hardest thing, too, I think, coming from, like, a physical therapy standpoint, like, the type of patients that we see on a daily basis is, like, trying to maintain your composure, like, oh, my gosh, this person is really, like, telling me this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And this person's really, like, are you serious? But 
you just learn to deal with different personalities. You mm -hmm. just kind of figure it out and know yeah. what works and what doesn't work. And at the end of the day, like, you're just kind of looking at the game face on it, just kind of getting it done and getting mm -hmm. through. And yeah, it's just crazy. Like, some people's thought processes of, like, why they need medical attention or, like, why they need. Because, like, I've worked in the hospital for, I think, like, five years up until nutrition and oh my god it's just crazy like some people like I don't when I worked in wound care I remember this one person used to put like horse medicine on their wounds and I'm like what are you doing we give you dressings to stay on until we see you next like why, why the fuck are you and it's getting worse I'm like what are people's thought process like what what in no, your mind was process. like yes. yeah then intrusive yeah. thoughts when they walked by and they're like oh yellow let's put that on my leg yeah. <laughs> make it yeah <laughs> People are crazy. Yeah. I feel like going back to the communication aspect with between your partners. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> going back to like the communication aspect, I think that's really important to understand that it's okay not to tell all your trauma to your partner. And I think that's something that we really talk about and like especially with like my trauma and your trauma, like something that you taught me is like communication and healthy communication and it's okay not to be why the fuck are you looking at me <laughs> well, well, just, like, like, it is okay no. no well just like you said like you have to learn each other's boundaries and you have to learn what how to help your partner and it's okay to leave some parts out yeah. you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. or like you said everything's starts you start questioning like what's wrong with me this like, and why that, doesn't and want to talk to me mm -hmm. and then it just creates a bigger problem because you're taking the problem of your partner where it should be a time where you're there for them and you're making it about you mm -hmm. and it's not and it's a normal process too but yeah. that's why you said like healthy communication and being able to say like hey i just need some space i just need some time and self-reflection too like i know you guys both talked about it a lot of like just self-awareness of like hey my coping strategies aren't doing it like i need something else and just that awareness of like how I'm reacting or how I'm behaving or talking or actions, whatever it may be, like how it's negatively impacting me and the people in my life or how it's positively and, you know, just yeah, adjusting as needed. And Yeah, and also thinking about what am I doing that's wrong, you know? I feel like that's something yeah. that, yeah, I feel like that's something that you talked about with therapy that really helped you, like, self-reflect because it's not always on the other person. There's always two sides to a situation, you know? So you always have to think, okay, this person did whatever and what was something that I did that contributed mm -hmm. to the situation. Or even like if what that person did, like why did it make me feel the way it did? Yeah. You know, like why did I let what they said or do impact me so much that now I'm upset or mad or crying or whatever it may be, you know, like, okay. <laughs> you know, like what, like, why is that affecting me so much? And oftentimes it's a, an own like insecurity or self-reflection or something that needs improvement too. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not all perfect. It's just a learning experience. That's yeah. how it is. We're all just we're here to learn. Life, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Every day we wake up, we're just dying a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, did, did you have <laughs> um, I kind of went into the question that you, you already asked. I was going into, like, mental health, and I wanted yeah. to talk about different mental health between firefighters and being in the military in that transition. But... Yeah. Um, so with Thanksgiving coming up, I have a oh, very yes. specific question. <laughs> um, so, you know, working with women, there's a lot of fear around the holidays because there's food and it's like a lot of food and delicious and 
a lot of clients always express like, you know, how to go about eating on Thanksgiving or Christmas or any holiday or birthdays, honestly, you know, how to deal with like that much food, how to not feel guilty for eating that food, how to like strategically plan their workout so they can work out before Thanksgiving, you know, early dinner so that they can like earn that food and stuff. And so I'm just curious, like, do guys have those same thought processes around food or? Uh, definitely not me. <laughs> um, I take the approach that like Christmas, Thanksgiving, things like that, eat whatever the fuck you want. Um, you know, I think for the most part, like we, I try and eat fairly healthy. Like I'm not counting macros or anything like that, but I'm not, I'm not going and getting bags of candy all the time or Twinkies or whatever, you know, for the most part I eat healthy. And then when it comes to, you know, just once in a while I'll indulge, but I don't, I definitely don't think like that. And I think most men just eat because we like food. <laughs> I mean, growing up earlier in my like early 20s and stuff like that, definitely. I think uh, I had body image issues just like everybody else and I had an eating disorder that I don't really talk about too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went through all that, especially when I really got into uh, counting macros. I kind of got obsessed with it and it was uh, taking over my life. Mm-hmm. And, but transitioning now in my later 20s, I kind of feel the same way as Garrett. Like, I eat because I enjoy food and mm-hmm. I don't really think about it, but I have gone through all of my other stuff and so that's changed my mindset and I have other stuff going on in my life that I'm thinking about and worrying about rather than food. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I think like being self-aware of like my food habits and stuff like that is something that I'm always gonna be attentive to, but I see it more as like kind of what you were talking about um, the earning the food and stuff like that that was like a really big thing for me in like my early 20s when I was going through everything um and not treating it as like a punishment for stuff like that mm-hmm. like food can't be a reward for doing something good or doing something exhausting and you have to see it as fuel you have to see it as like this is the stuff that is going to make me stronger this is the stuff that's going to make me feel better and two like everything's fine in occasion and you have to food is mm-hmm. connection food is everything you have to be able to show up to your family events and enjoy food and sit around the table and talk with your family and mm-hmm. your friends and be able to like enjoy yourself and have fun and not be in your head worrying about like oh shit like I gotta go work out after this or tomorrow morning mm-hmm. I'm gonna make sure I get that run in and maybe mm-hmm. or go hit the class or whatever it is <laughs> and um and so that's like the last thing that can be on your mind but you just kind of you just gotta I feel like when I was going through it, my thing was kind of approaching it, not overindulging. I would notice is that my binging stuff would come when I was super restrictive. Mm-hmm. Super restrictive, super restrictive to eventually you just get to that breaking point and then yeah, you just, fuck it. Yep, just go for it. And mm-hmm. gore, like gorge yourself to mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, now I feel like shit and now I'm throwing up because I ate so much and yeah. then you feel even worse and yeah. then it's just an endless cycle, continuous. Oh. And then, um, and then it doesn't fix itself versus like just going, doing what you want, eat what you want, enjoy the food, enjoy the time with the family, enjoy the time with the friends, mm-hmm. and then next day is a new day. Yeah. And then you just yeah. continue on your routine. Consistency is key. Making sure if you're eating good the majority of the time and not going and getting your sweets on every single night, going and indulging on all this super savory food all the mm-hmm. single time, it's like that one day isn't going to change all of that 
hard work and all that time that you put in before it. So mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's something that, I mean, we've both gone, we've, all three of us, I don't know if you've gone through, like, the, the crazy eating disorder type of deal. Yeah, that's okay, though. Go sit in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like with macro counting, like, that kind of allowed me to learn what my body needed in terms of, like, protein, carbs, and fats, although I did go through a bad eating disorder and body dysmorphia, but then like taking that moral aspect out of food and stop and stopping like restricting myself really helped me to just be like, enjoy the connection between food and enjoy going to like events and not being like, oh my God, I need to go and do an hour of cardio after I eat this meal. Or I need to eat beforehand. So I only eat a little bit at this meal or whatever. I think you said it perfectly. Like it's one day. I wish people could fully grasp the concept of how much food you actually have to eat in a day to gain one pound of fat. Mm-hmm. Like it is a lot. I look at my food as like, you know, I, I am feeling my workouts. I'm feeling, you know, what am I going to do in my job? Like I need to have the energy for that and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, I'll eat healthy. Like I'll still once in a while, you know, like we got some candy the other day, but we don't go get candy mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and it's usually just an amount to, like, last out one day. It doesn't, right. like, stay. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. so I do look at it as, like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I need, uh, I'm going to have a, you know, big workout. Um, I need to have, you know, lots of protein. I need the carbs. I need everything to fuel myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. by no means am I tracking. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, yeah. Yeah, I no. just listen to my body, like, whatever it needs. Yeah. I mean, more, like, on it, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, a lot of girls that I work with freak out about Thanksgiving because it's a bigger meal or like we've gotten into this weird tradition where like we don't eat food at, prior to Thanksgiving, which is so mm-hmm. stupid. That's such a weird meal. I can get it's into that. But saving yourself for that big meal. Oh, <laughs> I just want to eat everything on that table. So that triple, triple trip. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> 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 Fuck up peanut gallery. <laughs> but like a lot of girls or the women that I work with, they're like, they get so stressed about Thanksgiving because it's a bigger meal. It has a little bit more calories that they're like, oh my gosh, if I actually enjoy this meal and get a little bit of everything, I'm going to gain weight. Especially if we look at like the actual food composition of Thanksgiving, I feel like it's one of the more healthier holiday mm-hmm. foods. Mm-hmm. Like you're fucking getting shit ton of turkey. It's mm-hmm. pretty lean protein source. You got green beans, mashed potatoes can be a great carb source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like honestly, potatoes are a really good carb source to have, you know, and I don't really know what else other. That's mainly all I eat. <laughs> I think like what Gabby was saying too. It's like it's a consistency thing. Yeah, like you just yeah. like one day. Okay, I'm not gonna eat Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, it's not gonna Friday, Saturday, Sunday, progress. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, I'm yeah. going back right back into my routine. Yeah. yeah. Or even if like you day. have some Thanksgiving leftovers, like the amount of it is probably not as much as you actually ate on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think it's more harmful to get in that mindset because it ruins, like I said, I think it's just a connection thing. I'm, like, I isolated myself so much mm-hmm. when I was so into macros. Mm-hmm. I was the person that was bringing up the scale to dinners and <laughs> stuff like that, and it was uh, it was yeah. really, really bad. Love the way I look, you know? I look lean and felt good and everything like that, but I had, like, no connection to, like, people. And then you get to this point where you're like, all right, reach that spot where I look good and I'm happy with myself, but why do I still feel like I'm missing something? Well, now you have no connection to anybody because you're so concerned about the food. Mm -hmm. And then you don't get a chance to 
enjoy it and then too it's just not sustainable uh-huh. that's the mm-hmm. biggest yeah. thing is like you eat that way for so long restrict 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 hit your goal and it's like okay so now i'm just going to carry this out for the rest of my life it's like yes. now you want to go back into how you were doing and eating and doing everything else and then the weight starts coming back and then it's this yo-yo thing uh-huh. just consistent mm-hmm. back and forth back and forth back and forth that's why you got to just find a, what works for you and kind of understanding your body <laughs> and uh Understanding your body, like Garrett was saying, is kind of understanding like food is fuel, uh-huh. and just uh, that's what's gonna fuel your next workout and fuel yeah. your energy for the rest of the week and stuff and like that. Haven't you talked to me about like that mind body connection where if you are you know stressed about eating something uh-huh. and you think about like oh this is this is bad for me, your uh-huh. body just kind of makes it bad for you yes. because there's that mind that body. That is actually one hundred percent true because our gut mirrors the emotions that our brain tells it because we have. This really cool nervous system called the enteric nervous system. It's essentially like a highway that only allows traffic from the brain to the stomach. So it doesn't really get into any other of the nervous systems. And that's why like that expression of like trust your gut is actually science back. Because of that nervous system, it picks up on other things that like your parasympathetic, your sympathetic, your central nervous system doesn't pick up on. And so like the emotions that you feel in your brain travel down that little highway to your gut and change how you digest food it can actually stop digestion altogether depending on how extreme your emotions are and so you know i'm a big advocate i've talked about this a lot of food really only becomes bad for you when you let it become bad because it starts affecting how you digest and absorb nutrients because everything can to an extent provide some nutrients for your body to utilize but when we start getting in our head about it or like having those guilt feelings or negative emotions or stressed out or anxious then you're just taking the very small nutrients that you could have from, you know, whatever quote unquote bad food you're eating and you're Mm -hmm. just not getting anything from it now, you know? And so it's really all about that mindset of essentially like unlocking the concept of food freedom or like no food rules and trusting yourself around food and having enough education around what food does in your body, what types of food you need for your body how your body responds to foods that you can make informed choices around food to make you feel your best. You know, I'm a really big believer that there's food that nourishes your body and then there's food that nourishes your soul. And you need a little combo of both to have that happy, healthy balance. Cause you know, when you're tracking macros and looking all lean and measuring out your food and stuff, like I bet that you didn't, like you said, you didn't really feel fulfilled. You didn't really have like that, like satisfied, like, wow, this meal was really good type of stuff, you know? And like, that is also health. You know, it's mm-hmm. that nice little balance of like, yes, food is used for fuel, but that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it and also like make it a special time when we eat to just really like use that as a practice to show our body our appreciation for it because through education and learning about what food does to you, you're now making more choices around like nutritious dense foods and foods that are healthier because you want to feel better. When we start making the focus on eating to feel better versus eating to be smaller, you start making such better like eating choices, you start developing better eating habits, your thought processes around food gets healthier and it's overall just a more balanced experience and Yeah. And I yeah. feel like once you take the aesthetics part out of it, like the aesthetics come, you know, because I feel like when you're so focused on how you look, that's your definition of health and it just becomes unhealthy and it's a cycle of okay I need to eat a certain amount of food and a certain type of food in order to maintain the certain look rather than like focusing on just enjoying your food yeah Yeah. listening to your body 
enjoying a little bit of soul food now and then and stopping whenever you're full, you know, then the aesthetics come with that because your body's not in a stressful state and it's... Yeah, your body can't heal when it's in a stressful state and healing, you know, kind of goes into everything of like digesting, recovery, resting, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's important to just like, like Gabby said, when you remove the aesthetic part for it being your sole purpose of why you're making behavioral changes you'll realize that one, the process becomes a lot more enjoyable, so it's a lot more sustainable, it lasts longer. But also, like, I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are like, oh, I wanna lose 10 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, why do you wanna lose 10 pounds? I'm like, oh, I'll probably be happier. And then they lose those 10 pounds, and guess what, they're still not happy, Mm -hmm. because the problem isn't the weight, the problem is the person, like the behavioral aspect, the identity, the mental stuff, the Mm -hmm. emotional stuff, and losing weight doesn't guarantee that you'll magically love yourself after losing 10 pounds. You might like how you look more, but that doesn't fix everything that you can't see. Yeah, and we put so much value on the number and the weight. And, like, you can weigh, like, I remember two years ago, I weighed the same weight and looked completely different, you know? So it's like we put so much value on a certain number. And I think as women especially, and maybe, I don't know, you guys can talk about, maybe I think as men, like, I feel like, you want a higher weight, they're like, oh, man, I'm 175, or, like, Pushing I'm 220. Yeah, 220. Trying to get a little solid. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, like, opposite for men, because it's, like... I mean, it's both. I have a, I've had clients before that have that male come in, same thing. I want 10, 15, 20, whatever pounds mm-hmm. off, and then same thing. I'm coming in, and I want to put on 50, 60 pounds of muscle, yeah. whatever. look like Leonidas. Exactly. You want to be swole, dude. Be swole. I can't fit my shirts, everything like that. But, uh... I don't want to fit through doorways. Exactly. <laughs> Got to walk sideways. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think it goes in both ways, you know. Um, it's one of those things that uh, you just can't. That number varies so much, too. Trying to get that in people's head. It's an objective number. That's why people really. Sorry. She wants you to, to blow it. She wants you to deep throw the mic. You really <laughs> have to be in there. Like, you got to get them in there. <laughs> but, uh. I think that people want, like, an objective number, you know? Mm -hmm. It's hard to see consistent weight loss when you look at yourself every single day and you know exactly where your insecure spots are, you know? I want to lose a little bit here, I want to lose a little bit here, and it's like every day you look at yourself in the mirror, of course, you're not going to see drastic change, but you step on the scale, oh, I'm down half a pound, oh, I'm down Mm -hmm. a quarter, you know? And you just keep going, 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 and then you see it come up, and you're like, oh, shit, like, all right, and I need to hit the weights, I need to get to some cardio, do this, do that, and, um... It's like you said, it's not sustainable. People's body composition changes. You mm-hmm. could be 220 pounds at 20 to 30% body fat, like a certain way. You could be 220 some pounds and be 15 to 12% body fat and look a whole different way, you know? Yeah. So it's just trying to, like you said, intuitive eating is like really the key of unlocking everything. It's just like the culture of where we are in America is like mm-hmm. everything's just overindulgence of everything not just food it's just everything and anything and everything's you, accessible and we don't yeah. have moderation no one nope. teaches us moderation especially when we're sorry we're fixing sorry. a mic real quick stand by lefty here. lucy righty tighty and crane neck real quick a little handiwork yeah so i think it's just overindulgence no one teaches you moderation when you're a kid yeah yeah that's that's like one of my pet peeves is the whole finish your plate they're starving kids and wherever insert whatever country or state you want to put and like that to me i don't know we've got starving kids in america Um, we do we do have a lot of like yeah um 
And that, like, I know the parents have good intentions because they want to make sure kids are eating enough. They want to make sure they grow up big and strong and eat their vegetables and stuff. But, like, I don't think they actually understand. And this is speaking from a woman's standpoint. I don't know if it does the same for you guys. Um, but, like, speaking from a girl's standpoint, when parents, like, looking back now, you know, we weren't taught that moderation. We were taught we have to finish our plate in order to, like, be full or whatever. And we lose the ability to tune into our, like, our distension signals and so what I mean by that is like our stomach is a muscle that has grown or learned to grow to a certain point that Mm -hmm. provides the body with enough food and there's all these like nerve endings on the stomach and stuff too and that's one of the main biofeedback cues to the brain of like hey we're content you can stop you know telling the human to feed us and so like as you eat food your stomach grows and grows and it gets to its set point that it likes and you can train it to get smaller or bigger but it gets to that set point that it likes and it signals to the brain, hey, we're content, we're nice, and we got the perfect amount, we're good, our energy levels will be stable, our blood sugar is good, like, tell the human to stop eating, stop making hunger hormones. But because of that mindset of like, oh, I have to finish my plate, so many people eat past that comfort point to where they're like, oh my god, I'm so full now, like, I need to go for a walk, I feel gross, I need to go throw up, whatever it may be, because of that, like, it was just ingrained in us by media parents advertisements you know all sorts of stuff of like to be a big growing kid you need to finish your plate and so it teaches us from a very young age to disconnect from our body and disconnect from the cues that our body tells us you know if you want to achieve optimal health and wellness you have to learn how to listen to your body and interpret what your body is telling you and consistently work on honoring those cues that it gives you and so like i'm a big fan of joining the dirty plate club which is not a real club, but it's like, it's like a, I'm blanking on the word, but essentially it just helps teach people that it's okay to leave food on your plate. Obviously, as you learn more about your body, you, you'll have better portion judgment. So you're not wasting as much food, but you know, just like get it in a to-go box, take it with you, give it to homeless people, whatever you want to do. Like you don't have to waste the food that you don't finish. Cause I know a lot of people feel bad that they're like, Oh, I'm not finishing my food. I'm being wasteful. Yeah. But like, there's you don't have to just throw it away there's other options you know you could even take it home and like uh decompose it right i was about to say decompress it (laughs) there's like this little like yeah compost (laughs) it can rot (laughs) like there's options to it but like i said as you start to learn more about your body and listen to it you get better at controlling like how much food to actually put on your plate Mm -hmm. so you're not wasting as much and you're getting to that perfect amount of food eaten to where you're not left hungry afterwards and you're not feeling too full after mm-hmm. well, i think another issue like we were saying with the overindulgence you paired that with just how bad our food is especially here <laughs> yep. in the united states like it's it's tough like you and i go to the grocery store and we're constantly looking at things like i give the example all the time of bread we'll go look at bread and it'll have like 50 ingredients in it and i'm like there's supposed to be three mm-hmm. what why why is there all this crap in it and then, so it takes us a while to find, you know, yeah. a good loaf of bread. But it's 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 incredibly difficult when you're looking at this. Like this is all like meant to kill us. Yeah. This is all bullshit. And so, um, and even when you go like to the fruit and everything, or uh, you know, everything's been sprayed with waxes, and you know, all the seeds now are these GMO ones that are like resistant to pesticides, and like yeah. it's it's very tough to find stuff that's like actually good for you anymore. And half the stuff that we're eating here in America has been banned overseas. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, go oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and I think that's one of the reasons why when it comes to like the FDA and stuff, like I don't listen to the FDA anymore because you know, this, 
and I know that's. Oh no, I don't. I agree with that. Like the the amount of bullshit that they have fed us and that they have allowed to go through and say, oh yeah, this is totally fine. But then every other country is like, what are you guys feeding your people? And so I don't listen to the FDA anymore. It's you know. I don't uh, either, and their recommendations are really weird. Like they're very general. Like everybody should have two thousand calories a day, and you should have fifty grams of protein. And it's like this is so stupid. Yeah, and everyone's different, (laughs) and yeah. So it's just seeing what they approve, and when it's mainly just because it's like big lobbyists and stuff that just get, you know, find ways to make more profit, and then they find Mm -hmm. some like crap food that they can, you know, uh, make taste real good. Yeah. And they're like, oh, if we put this you know, horrible chemical, this food will last an extra two months, and so we can sell X amount, and we don't have as many losses, and, you know, so I think that's the toughest thing for us, is, like, trying to find good food. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, yeah, you know, overindulgence with it, but if, even if you're overindulging, if it's good, healthy food, it's not nearly as bad as all the, the other crap we've got, like, uh, what was the one that we were looking at in cereals? It was like DHT or... I'm about to say DMT, but that's a drug. <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, like, I, think, I think a lot more people will be having cereal. I think it's like BHT, BTH. BTH. Bring me the horizon. I don't know. It's it's like, it's a weird word, but... Yeah. Or like, my biggest thing is like how FDA... So I don't... This is why you guys need a little Jamie over here who's Googling stuff. Carly, Carly, can you start Googling things for us? And then you can just be like, oh... Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, well, we'll get there one day. Uh, but like, it's it's interesting what FDA like. So, for instance, you can, and I'm not 100% on the statistics because we don't have a Jamie here. But like, with the FDA, I think they banned a while ago. Like, for the example, we'll just say they banned like um, high fructose corn syrup, and so places or food can still get away with putting high fructose corn syrup in their products if it's under a certain amount fda is like oh okay we'll look the other way whatever it's not high enough to impact people and so like that's annoying and then it's also annoying like on an ingredients label like they'll put the chemical compound of like fucking vitamin a and i'm like what are you doing like why are you are you trying to scare people are you trying to just like what is it why wouldn't you just put fucking this is vitamin a like why do you put its actual chemical <clears throat> compound name because people look at that and they're like I'm going to stay away from that. Right. Yeah, and it's like, no, it's actually just a vitamin. Mm-hmm. I don't... Right, unless you're a chemist, you have no idea what it is. Exactly. Like, not trying to go down the, uh, the conspiracy route, but exactly like it. what... Exactly yeah, what Garrett, down. You know, you exactly, know I'm down for that. Exactly, exactly what Garrett was saying. It's, uh, well, American culture, like, you need sick people, you know? That's how we make the money. Big <laughs> yeah. pharma, everything like yeah. that. And so... Mm-hmm. We need... Big pharma's not there to, you know, mm-hmm. fix people's problems. They're there to treat it. Exactly. And so that's, like, a big thing we see in going to the clinic. I'm sure you saw in the hospital and everything like that is... Uh, a lot of people come in super, super sick, and mm-hmm. they don't know what's making them sick. It's the food. It's whatever they're uh, they're doing. And then people don't realize, like, these giant manufacturing companies that control basically everything we do and everything that we buy and own is a lot of these food companies. And uh, mm-hmm. they pay yeah. these engineers millions and millions of dollars <laughs> to find the perfect crunch, the perfect taste, the perfect... They engineer this food to make it hyper palatable. Mm-hmm. And it, it tricks your brain, you know? Yeah, food is does. just another dopamine hit, you know? So that's why people <laughs> just keep going and keep eating and eating and eating. And it's, they're like, why can't I stop? Why can't I stop? Well... Yeah, it's actually, it's, in, it's actually yeah. engineered doing exactly what it's right. supposed to do. That's why. And you, then here comes big pharma, like, oh, we've got a pill to fix that. Exactly. Oh, you got diabetes now. Here's Ozempic. Yeah. Exactly. You got high exactly. blood pressure. You got whatever it is. Yeah. Go ahead and throw this. Treat it. Treat it. Treat mm-hmm. it. Treat it. Instead of teaching and educating people, mm-hmm. intuitive eating, 
learning to control those food gauges and those hunger cues Mm -hmm. and then being able to control your weight by yourself and realizing like, oh, living a good, having a good activity level throughout Mm -hmm. your life, uh, eating a well-balanced diet, well-rounded diet with fiber, nutrition, whatever it is, your vitamins, getting outside, having connection, community. Mm -hmm. Fiber. Mm -hmm. It's going to (laughs) be, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fiber anymore. (laughs) And that's the biggest reason why everybody's always hungry, you know? And so it's like, if they were teach that, then a lot of people wouldn't have all of these diseases that are super, super common now, heart disease and yeah. uh, obesity, everything like that. Yeah. And it's sad you see these kids that are getting type 2 diabetes. And, so sad. Yeah, and like, kind of like, we don't see that in a lot of other countries, and you don't see people come here from, like, my experience mm-hmm. going overseas and everything like that, especially walking around Europe. Um, catching up now a little bit. You know, they're getting, know. they're catching up, they're right on our tail, but, but, uh, <laughs> but you see a lot leaner people out there yeah. because a lot of the food isn't the same out there. And it's also safer just, to walk places in Europe too. Community and the community yeah, is huge out there. The culture out there is huge and kind of overindulgence going down that same route is like social media, all yeah. that stuff. It's easy to get distracted. We watch TV when we eat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm You're just a as, fan. Yeah, I'm just as bad getting on videos and watching t- whatever it is while you eat, you know, being distracted and like that puts that cueing in the back and it's like, oh, I just killed this plate. And it's like, uh-huh. oh shit, man, I'm like actually really, really full. I yeah. probably killed half of that and been good. But it's like a whole thought process and a whole like thing you have to like retrain your body. And yeah. mm-hmm. the earlier you do it, the better it's going to be for you. And I think the happier you are going to be in, like, your later life and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. but that takes hard work and dedication. Consistency. And people don't like that nowadays. It's Give me not a pill. As... Me yeah, a exactly. Pill. Like, and same thing with, like, the medical field, yeah, you know. So it's they like... They're killing it. Like, they, their business model is perfect. Yeah. No, they, forever. They, they figured it out. As much as I hate them, you got to give it to them. Like, they, they're killing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they'll forever kill it because it's getting worse. Like yeah. the generation that's coming up now. Yeah, they, they don't want people that like think for themselves. So it's, it's just this perpetual cycle that they're just going to run everything. Money Black runs Rock, the world. BlackRock and Vanguard's going to run everything. Mm-hmm. Money rules the world. That's all it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, because when you you know when you start educating a population on all those things you just talked about, well, now they're looking for the root cause instead of just slapping a bandaid on yeah. their symptoms. And then you get a population that is educated enough to make their own choices, and the money goes away mm-hmm. yeah. and it's just it's that's it's like it's really sad because like it's super frustrating because i tell you all the time like how many conversations i have with my mm-hmm. patients that come in and they're there for whatever reason and then two weeks in they're coming in and they're super discouraged unmotivated and they're like i don't know why i'm not getting better <laughs> I, and I don't know why i'm not getting better and exactly it's because one you're not doing extra work you're not doing your HEPs, you're not doing the homework that i send you home to mm-hmm. and then also too like this takes time rehab is a hard thing to do and there's a reason why a lot of people don't do it and there's a like you have to stay consistent with it and i promise you it's going to get better Mm -hmm. yeah and it takes years sometimes yeah and i think like one of the big problems too is not a lot of people want to take accountability for how long it took them to get to where they're at and so you can't expect like years and years and you know of just unhealthy habits to magically be changed in a month month and then start seeing results like you then have to start practicing those habits consistently like it's going to take just as long if not longer to get to that point where it's like second nature now yeah they start doing it when it's too late you know when they go into the doctor and then they got renal failure they got whatever it is high blood pressure they just had a stroke they had a heart attack and now you have to or you're gonna die and it's like at that point 
you're already behind the ball, you know? Like, you should have got that ball rolling a long time ago. And it sucks because, like, a lot of people, I think, realize it when I got people coming in, 50, 60, whatever it is, and they're basically on their deathbed, mm-hmm. which is, like, soup. that's crazy to think about because that's still early. super, super young, super, super young. And the fact that people think, like, 70s, 80s is old isn't. Mm-hmm. that old at all I got 90 100 year olds that are coming in doing laps around some of my 40 year old patients you know yeah. and that's what they preach is they preach healthy living they preach community they preach being aware of their body and activity and yeah. that's like the key to everything and they tell mm-hmm. me all the time they're like just do what makes you happy do yeah. what makes you happy and everything else really doesn't matter and make an impact when you can and then mm-hmm. those are the people that are living the longest and living the happiest you yeah know? i think the single thing that i've seen you know out in the field is uh, uh the consumption of alcohol <laughs> is like the single thing that is the worst across the board i mean the amount of people i go on that have liver failure renal failure whatever it is and it's all related to alcohol mm-hmm. and the people that i've also seen who are 80 years old and they haven't drank since they're 20 they look great yep like, man, I hope I look like you when you're 80. They look great. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, like, if there's one thing that you could, that's the best thing for you to do to be able to help your body is to get control over your alcohol consumption. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Definitely figure that out, like you said, like, early on and, like, kind of see, engage what it is. And back to the big circle, communities, everything. If you're surrounding yourself and you're noticing that all your friends want to do all your homies whoever it is wants to do is go out get drunk get plastered mm-hmm. it's like oh, maybe i should really figure out like do i really want to do this and is that the best thing for me mm-hmm. and then we t- start taking a step back maybe finding other people that are doing other things you know because uh-huh. i think alcohol is such a cultural thing you know mm-hmm. it's like oh, i just got off let me go and uh, i'm gonna go meet the boys and watch the game and we're gonna get some wings and some beer and it end up one beer turns into two turns into three whatever it is and then it's like oh weekends here crack open a bottle be good you know and it's just like so ingrained into like the culture Mm -hmm. of everything and it's like it's hard to find and then like when you don't drink you're kind of looked at as an outcast like "Mm, you don't you don't drink we had we went to the wedding this past Mm -hmm. weekend and then had a dude come up to her and me and was like why aren't you guys drinking oh y'all too healthy for that oh my god it's just like stuff like that you know it makes me so uncomfortable i'm like i'm because i'm not i'm allergic (laughs) exactly it's like stuff like that like you're outcasted and it's like oh what's wrong with these people yeah like being able to be comfortable it's like i just don't want to drink you know i just don't feel like drinking or i don't like drinking and that's totally fine and yeah you don't have to feel bad about it either like it's also crazy to see how much fun you can have being sober too yeah like we, we were at EDC this past week, and I was very high Friday night. And Sunday night, because we only went Friday and Sunday, and Sunday night I didn't do anything, and I had so much more fun on Sunday than I did Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like an aha moment of like, wow, look at me. Okay. <laughs> I've grown up. Yeah. Good job, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, but, cool. like, it was cool to just be like, wow, I was able to just be, like, fully sober for this and, like, not... Yeah, I had a great time sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, he was sober all days, but... Yeah, I, was, I was sober the entire time, but, yeah. And it's also kind of funny seeing, like, the, you can tell who's sober and who's having a great time still enjoying it, and then you can see the, the people, people who are sleep passed on the floor. out on the ground because they were just so plastered. It's like, 
I'm still enjoying the concert. It's mm-hmm. like, are you, you dead? Are you, or are you alive? Are you still breathing? You just paid 800 bucks to sleep on the yeah, grass, you exactly. know, look at the stars. Yeah. Right? yeah. Those people getting drug out by the paramedics and everything because yeah. they're tripping yeah. too hard. Yeah, it ain't worth it. I mean, yeah. it takes time. Like, uh-huh. in my early 20s, I went to EDC three different times. I went yeah. to all these other concerts and lot. I re- vividly remember one time I went to Decadence and, uh, uh-huh. for the New Year's. And I was just so caught up in like, I need to get drunk, I need to get drunk. And I remember I was just pounding drinks, just left and right. And it just like, I'm like, fuck, I'm not getting drunk. I don't know why I'm not getting tipsy. And it was like, I was getting stressed about it. Destroyed like my whole time there. Woke yeah. up feeling like shit. And then the next two times that I went and a couple of times, the last two times I went to EDC, I was like the babysitter, right? Yeah. So I was completely sober. Had the best time. Mm-hmm. Had the best time, had the best memories and remember everything and had amazing time and mm-hmm. like you said it was like the aha like oh like I can actually like enjoy myself and not be mm-hmm. completely trash and acting like a fool or yeah. get super rowdy like I could just be me and kind you of can get home safely wake too. up feeling okay the next day like, exactly yeah. whenever to recover three days throwing up in the toilet the next day <laughs> not pretty... sleeping on the bathroom floor <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think that's why I don't drink really anymore is because like I hate the feeling the next day yeah. Brutal. yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Like, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. I just, I hate being hungry. Mm-hmm. Sunday. Even one beer. Yeah. yeah. That's same, how same I was. Beer. Yeah. It's just, it jacks me up. I hate it. I had three sips of a tequila, like something, soda or something at that wedding. And Sunday, dude, I was like violently sick. <laughs> I felt awful. And yeah. it ruined my whole day. I felt like I yeah, could barely yeah. drive. I, it was, it was the roof one, not the alcohol. That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe somebody probably drugged me when I was Gabby, over there. Him. <laughs> so, it was me. Exactly. Dropping I wanted to take advantage of you. Yeah. It was brutal, dude. It was like awful. But that's the same thing, too. Poppy. It's just like, it's not, it's not worth it at all. Yeah. These girls are getting ideas. <laughs> yeah, let's not roofie your partner. Yeah. So put that out there right now for everybody yeah. listening. The PSA, just don't roofie people in general. Yeah, it's it not was, cool. Yeah, let's not do that. But like, it's been really interesting because I have a CrossFit competition um, at the beginning of December, and so my training for it is not drinking alcohol. Because yeah. <laughs> like, I remember in October, like the beginning of October, I went for a beer with a friend. And the next day when I went to go train, I died like I was struggling in a way that I haven't struggled in a long time I was like "Mm, maybe I should stop for the competition but I think I'm just gonna like in general just stop because Mm -hmm. I know with myself I mean I've had like an alcohol problem in the past um and so like I know for me the biggest issue I deal with now with alcohol is like I'm not a very social person like I don't like people and I don't like like I like to go out and have fun with like my friends but to be in an environment like a club or edc where you're just surrounded by so many people i sometimes feel like in order for me to be social i need that like alcohol or weed or Mm -hmm. those things to like help Mm -hmm. and so it was really cool to see like on sunday how because there's definitely a point where i was so annoyed with people like people were just pushing us shoving us and i was almost ready to just turn to get me like let's just fucking go i'm over this i'm gonna fight people soon if we don't leave i'm gonna fight all hundred thousand people <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna just fucking yeah everybody. i'm just gonna go john wick on them and then i was like you know what no like change your attitude natalie like they're being nice at least they're saying sorry excuse me it's not like they're just fucking like elbowing you like pushing you through and stuff and I was like so you know they're just trying to get through they're all high probably like just you're fine and then I was able to just have so much fun it was so cool to see that like I can do that (laughs) like 
<laughs> I can change that perspective. And I, that was kind of like a really big moment of like, maybe I don't need things to make me social. I mm-hmm. just like need to try harder in here. Yeah, yeah it's all in your perspective. Mental fortitude. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. weak sometimes yeah. for me. <laughs> it's just constant practice, like you said. I'm in the same way. I'm not a big social butterfly. And yeah. I don't enjoy like going out in groups and socializing. I like my bubble. I like mm-hmm. my space. I like my routine. And that's how I like to keep it. And I do get anxious going into social gatherings and stuff like that. But it's a mindset thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I think everybody, especially now, is like, I, was, I saw this thing that they were talking about, like, how everybody has social anxiety now, right? Suddenly, like, everybody does not want to go out. Yeah. yeah, everybody doesn't want to go out. Everybody doesn't want to talk to anybody. It's just this weird thing that just happened yeah. within the last couple of years, and they blame That's it on social COVID. Media. That's because of social media. Exactly. It blames it on COVID and everything like that. But no, I think it's a lot of people just don't interact with people face-to-face, and yeah. it's uncomfortable to be face-to-face. And everybody's then caught up in their own head, too. Like, yeah. you interact with somebody, and you're like, shit man that was really fucking awkward but then they're probably thinking the same thing like oh that was so awkward like I I was so awkward but I had an interaction with a co-worker caught them outside in the store talked to them said what's up I left and then like driving home I got a message and they're like hey hey sorry if I was like super awkward wasn't even thinking about it you know (laughs) and I told Gabby now I think you were super (laughs) awkward now I think this is awkward well I told Gabby I came home and I was like everybody's in their own head, you know? Yeah, like, I didn't even think anything of that interaction, and everybody's already in their own head, so that's why, like, going out and, like, experiencing, pushing yourself to be uncomfortable, I think, is, like, the biggest thing right now. You mm-hmm. have to force yourself to do stuff, and you have to force yourself to go out and talk to people. And it's too easy just to fall into your own cycle and be like, you know what, we're just going to leave. I'm getting annoyed, I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. Go home. Mm-hmm. And then, or, not going to go easy. Like, yeah. fuck that, we're never going to do that again. But that was a good experience, because you changed your whole mindset and your whole perspective on it, and I'm sure you guys might go out and do something else again. Yeah, we yeah. almost didn't go on Sunday, because I was, well, we went, and I was grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, why are you grumpy? I was like, I don't want to deal with people. Like, I don't have any weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm tired. I literally pre-gamed for EDC on Sunday with Earl Grey tea. Yeah. yeah. I like it. And I was just like, I just, like, I only really want to go for that freaking pretzel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had such good pretzels. Oh, yeah. And I was like, and I was like, but you know what, I'll change my attitude we'll have some fun like my feet aren't hurting this night it'll mm-hmm. it'll be okay and so it was it was really cool being a little uncomfortable is good for everybody yeah. you know? I think it's scary but yeah. it's good yeah have a bad experience wipe it off and then learn from it you learn and that's yeah. how you grow and, and you just move on to the next thing mm-hmm. and then saying that too if you're the type of person that goes out and controls your alcohol consumption and can do it and handle it and feel totally fine like cool that's Props on you too. yeah go ahead and do what you do and like not sitting here like judging like oh if you drink alcohol, like, y'all are going to fucking die early and <laughs> everything like that. But it's like, if you could do it, like, do it, you know? Live your life the way you want to do it and do nope. what you yeah. want to do. I'm like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care me, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Do you have any other questions or should we ask our last ending questions? Sure. Okay. There's a lot of pressure on this. Right. It's a lot. Questions. It's a very serious question. So this is a question. very serious question. Will you do... Stuff. Just kidding, that's not the actual question. Um, what does embodying your health mean to you? Oh, that's a good one. You wanna go first or you want to <laughs> no, I was hoping you were taking okay. it first. Embody your health? Yeah. What does it mean to so you? Embody your health. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's what I'm on right now. No. Embody your health, I think, kind of just comes into for me means just Ooh, that's a hard one. I've been thinking about this honestly all week too, how I'm going to answer this. Um, I think it's just more of being accepting of yourself, being able to learn from 
prior experiences and being able to put yourself first, I guess. Put yourself first and make sure that you're taking care of yourself, not caring what other people say, not caring how other people think, and just looking out for yourself, I guess, is the, I like the big thing. I do too. I love that. I feel like more people need to prioritize themselves, and it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. That's something I need to learn. Even if I it is, say it's yes okay. to everything. Yeah. And do yes. But you did really good on putting yourself first and removing your clients. Thank you. That was yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. Good job, buddy. Thank you. I think for me, it's like, kind of goes back to what I talked about at the beginning, just like finding your purpose, you know, so whatever... You know, whether it's you've got kids and so you want to, you know, live longer for your kids and have a healthy life for them, or whether it's your career, or whether it's you just want to feel good so you can go out to EDC and do all these things, like, it's just finding, finding the purpose for why your health is a priority to you. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. Just be who you are and love the people around you. And live your life. Enjoy yeah. it. You only get one, so yeah. live it to the fullest. You Life know? is so short. It really is. I had a patient tell me the other day, and their post-stroke, like, do the things that you want to do because you never know what's going to happen. I think everybody, especially being young, like, you never know when the end is, and you never know if something's mm-hmm. going to happen to you or happen to the person that you love. So, like, love hard and exactly. do what you love. And yeah. Every day we wake up, yeah. we're just a little closer to death. Yeah, and if you want to forget, I think that's a very like peaceful thought for and me. And to yeah. see what's what's going on in the world and everything, you know, yeah. a lot of people have we yeah. have the privilege of turning off our phones and not looking at the news. There's a lot of stuff going on, and so it's like enjoy your time with your family mm-hmm. and make memories, and you just never know what could happen. Mm-hmm. So adopt dogs. Dogs yeah. do that too. They need a nice high, yeah. a nice little house. Yeah, exactly. Nice little bed. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate you guys having us. Thanks for having us. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.